You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. For me, it's hard to believe that this series is over today. I don't know about you, but the past couple of weeks have kind of flown by. But what's really cool is that I've had a lot of great conversations. So I want to say thank you for reaching out. Text, email, one-on-ones. It's just been great hearing your heart and what's been going on the past few weeks. And it's been really cool. I mean, we've talked a lot about change and movement. And then you reciprocated that with showing us how change and movement is taking place in your lives. So thank you for that. I'm just so proud of you guys. Is that condescending? Am I allowed to say that? Is it okay if I say I'm proud of you? I really am. As one of the pastors here, I'm super proud of you because what we tried to do, and I know you see this logo and it's like, uh, I don't know. Maybe it makes you a little hesitant. Do I want to go in there? I mean, what are they going to be talking about? I'm not up for that or whatever. But what we tried to do was have a little psychological game, if you will. So we've got this logo here and we've talked about over the past two or three weeks. We want to rub up against some tough topics. And you'll know we really didn't unpack maybe just one. We really did rub up against them. And what we tried to do was take this word explicit at its denotation, like what it really means. And that's simply clear. Now the connotation, what it's come to mean when you see this logo is this idea of vulgarity. And that's not where we went with it. We wanted to say, okay, let's be explicit with the Bible. So over the past few weeks, we've just looked at some of the teachings from Jesus, specifically John 6, so that the word of God could be very clear to us. And whatever that rubs up against you in your life, well, that's God doing the work and not us. So thank you for being receptive to that, leaning into that, and allowing change to come your way. It's been great. So I'm proud of you for that. Well done. Well done. Because some of this stuff... It can be hard, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I was at one of my favorite places. I call it my virtual office. You know it as. Yeah, right. So I'm at Starbucks. I'm sitting at the counter, and I noticed uh, Brees is waiting on some guy, and his voice starts to go a little bit up in the volume. I pay no attention to it. I keep pounding away a couple of emails. His voice is rising again. I'm trying to focus. So finally, when he starts yelling, I'm like, okay, what's going on? So I tune in over there, and there's the barista waiting on this guy. Then there's another barista back behind her, and she looks very agitated. So this guy starts talking about the trash problem. And I don't know if you know, have you noticed Starbucks over here by Chick-fil-A? There's not really a trash can outside of the Starbucks. There's two or three that line that little strip mall, if you want to call it that. But there's not one in front of Starbucks. So this guy is going off about how yucky the trash looks. And it can be. I mean, it's usually overflowing over there. So this guy's talking about it. And she doesn't know what to do. So I think this gal picks up on it and she's getting frustrated. So she rips this bag off of the roll there and she goes out. She comes back a few moments later. It's like Santa Claus. I mean, she has this huge bag of trash back and then she takes it to the dumpster. But the guy was fussing about it. And she said, hey, it's not our job. That lit the guy on fire. He couldn't handle it. You could just see he wanted to say, millennial, millennial, millennial. Just wanted to run through it. But he said, oh, here we go. Throws his hands up in there. Oh, here we go. It's the whole not my job thing. And they're like, it's really not. So I'm sitting there taking all this in, you know. Just watching what's going down. And the thought of my mind is, why is he complaining about this? Really, this 
what's the guy's problem? So fast forward a couple of days, actually this past Thursday, I was over at another Starbucks in town. I love this Starbucks over in Hamburg. So I'm over in this foreign territory, right? On foreign soil over here. And I'm standing there. I like to stand at the tables or the bar. And I'm, the bar, they don't really even have a bar. There's one table nudged up against this like log thing. So I'm at this table. I'm standing up, writing some stuff out. The customers are weird. It's really busy. The baristas are slammed. It has a drive-thru. I mean, they are slammed. So you really can't build that relationship with them. And I don't know. It just kind of smells weird and just got some icky vibes. You know what I mean? And you taste the coffee, it tastes different. It really does. So I'm distracting. I'm running hashtag not my Starbucks. Oh, was that too bad? Okay, we'll go on. All right, we'll go on. So I'm standing there and then I see this guy. He gets up and he has a tall coffee and he's walking around. He's really just walking around a little bit. So I'm keeping an eye on him. I've got a little conspiracy theorist in me. So anytime I see something like that, I tune in. So I'm watching this guy and he goes over and he actually starts cleaning the trash area and it's inside and it is crammed full. You could not stuff another coffee cup in this. It's horrible. Napkins are pulled out of the thing, straw wrappers, like cinnamon and sugar packets, just distributed all there. There's little pellets and stuff. It's a wreck. So I watch this guy. He goes up to the counter and asks for a trash bag and they give him one. And he exchanges the trash. He goes back to the counter and says, can I have a cloth? And they give him one. He comes back and he cleans it. The whole process, he was over there probably 20 minutes. So he goes back, he sits down, drinks his coffee. He's getting ready to leave. I go over right before he gets to the door and I say, hey, uh, if you've got 30 seconds, just a random question. So why did you do that? And he said, well, I was sitting there and I was looking at it and I was so aggravated. So I get up and I walk over to it and I'm so aggravated. These are his words. He says, I'm so aggravated, but I look around and they're slammed and there's no way they're going to be able to get to it. So instead of being aggravated, I decided to help. He finished up the conversation by saying, look, I had to do it. That's what I love about Northeast. I see some of you guys and I hear the stories. The goal is for me as a discipleship pastor, I try to meet five to 10 of you at least every week, five to 10 people every week. And I hear these stories about people looking out at some problems Maybe it's not trash bags or stuff sprinkled on the counter. It's stuff a little more serious and it aggravates you. You look in, you see it and you feel something, but you're not just complaining. You're actually going and asking for the resources, finding the right tools and you're addressing the problem. That's beautiful and I applaud that. And it's one reason when we talk about here, we have some of these core values. When we talk about the value of grace, like in week one, when we talk about grace, it's that idea of relationship. Relationship between you and this great God and then relationship between the rest of us. Building and nurturing those relationships. And then last week we talked about how we also value growth. We want everyone in here growing, moving forward, moving ahead spiritually. And that's the idea of ownership. So, you know, around here, and this predates me here at Northeast, we don't have members. You become an owner here. That's where you take ownership of your faith 
And you know that you're the one who is primarily responsible for cultivating your spiritual life. Well, this week, you hear us talk a lot about gifts too. We value spiritual gifts. That's leadership. Where you step up and you identify the problem, but instead of complaining about it, you do something about it. Why did we go through John chapter 6? I mean, we talk a lot about discipleship around here and John 6 is not the go-to verse, but it is one of the best texts that teaches about discipleship that we could walk through. And we've seen relationship and ownership even when the content is clear, it's explicit and it calls for a challenge or a change in our lives and we lean into it. That's discipleship. So this week we're going to kind of finish the story of John chapter 6 where the 12 are hanging around and there's been some confusion about what Jesus has been teaching and there's this big crowd that initially started following and now it's just a handful of people. Who's hanging around and what happens next? So we enter the story. Jesus has just been teaching about how he is the only way to God. He is the true bread that came down from heaven. In order to really be in line with God, you've got to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. Remember that? And then we jump into the story, John 6. So on hearing it, many of his disciples said, wait a minute, this is hard. This is a hard teaching. I mean, who can accept this? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Did you notice the connection there? The connection between it's hard Who can accept it? It's offensive. Those things kind of coalesce. But I want you to think of it being a hard teaching or who's accepting it. Don't think of it like this intellectual intimidation. Like you can see some of these YouTube or Facebook videos and these guys are just going at it in a debate and they know so much theology or so much about the background of the Bible that it's just kind of a whirlwind for me. I don't get all of it. We call it kind of apologetics where you're defending the faith. It's not necessarily hard because it's intellectual, like intimidating. Some people would say you read through Matthew, Mark and Luke and straighten to the point. But then you come to John and it's more theological. There's a lot more uh, subliminal meaning there. It's nothing like that. This idea of hard or being offended is wrapped up in how does this practically play out in my life? That's why it's hard. I remember I was 11, maybe 12 years old and I had this favorite album, but it was a time when uh, we had cassettes. Who remembers cassettes? Yeah, anybody still use them? Okay, handful, nice, nice. So we had a cassette. I don't remember the album. I don't know if you remember the group. I think it was some kind of mix like Jock Gems. Does anybody remember Jock Gems? Nobody from first service did. Yeah, you remember Jock Gems? I think it was on that album. But anyway, there was just one song. That's the only reason I had it. One song, I loved it. So I remember, the, I remember this so clearly. I'm in my dad's van and I have this in and I'm playing it comes to the end of the song he calls for me dinner I don't know maybe we're at our destination I don't even remember but I leave the van and I forget the CDs or the cassettes in there so I'm out cassette still in there well later he goes somewhere without me comes back the next day we both get in the van and he calls me out he calls me out for this song on this cassette that I had left in the van and he heard the lyrics and apparently they were quite vulgar. I just remember one line because he played it for me. And I remember this one line where this guy goes, yeah, come into the bedroom. I'm like, 11, I'm, I'm not listening to that. What is that? 
and what 11 or 12 year old would be, right? But that wasn't the song. I didn't know that song was on there because you'll remember, if you like a song on a cassette, what do you do? As soon as it's over, you hit and then you try to stop it right at the beginning. If you don't, rewind it a little more. You, you go too far, so you fast forward it, right? And you try to get right there where the song begins. I didn't know that song was on there. And it was highly offensive to my father. Let's flip that. Let's flip that. I see that happening with interaction with Scripture. And this is one reason you're 15 or 20 minutes with your open Bible every day or your D group. This is why it's so important. Because when you have the Bible before you every day, and you know how life gets, one morning you wake up, you're feeling good. So maybe you've got your coffee and your journal and you read through God's word and you're just feeling on top of this world. So you, you nail out two or three chapters. Then the next day you wake up and life's not so sunny. Something's happened. And then before you know it, it's been seven, 10 days, maybe a month and you haven't even opened the Bible. So it's so important to have a group that can hold you accountable for this daily interaction. And when you have daily interaction, you know as well as I do, sometimes you start to read through there and what happens? Ah, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't know the Bible said that. And it's not necessarily this highly intellectual stuff, but it is stuff that really speaks to us. It's explicit, it's clear. And what happens? Well, you read a little quicker, right? You kind of subdue that or push that to the side because it's speaking to you. It's making sense. And you know how clear it is. It's like God himself is looking face to face at you, talking to you. And it's hard because if you really allow that to play out in your life, that's gonna shift some things up. And maybe you're not ready for that. That's what these guys are facing. So this word hard or accept, it doesn't mean like comprehension. It means full attention. It's this idea of being able to take it in and then allow it to flow out of your life. And I think that might be where some of us are today. So not to call you out, but at the same time to call you out. Safer in a group, right? Is God speaking to you in any profound way? Based on the conversations I've had over the past couple of weeks, I'd love to touch base with you. Tell us what's going on and how we can come alongside of you. So the story goes on. Jump back to John 6. So from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Now hold on there for a second. Do you see what's happening? Let me catch up to speed. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he starts doing all these miracles and healing people and he's doing this crazy cool stuff, there's a group of people and you can read through it in the gospels. There's a group that comes in contact with them and it's, they're called the crowd. The crowds were amazed or the crowds followed him. And these are people who always show up. They're always in attendance when something really neat's going on, the crowd. But then as the ministry of Jesus moves forward, and it gets a little shaky or a little hard, you start reading about the disciples too. And the disciples, it's a smaller group than, than the crowds. It's a lot smaller, maybe between 80 and 120 people, something like that. But it's a group of people, the disciples, they're hanging around and they're aware. They get it. They hear what Jesus is saying and they've signed up for just a little bit more than all the bells and whistles, okay? They're here for more than the circus and they're hearing some hard stuff but they're not that inner circle or that 12 that Jesus hangs around with. 
that he's been building into for three years. So it's that smaller group of about 100, 120. They leave. They leave the guy because the teaching's clear. They leave the guy because of what it means for their lives. So listen, don't judge me for this, okay? Um, Huge fashion mistake, I get it. Uh, I'll blame it on my age or the time or whatever. But when I was about 19, 20, I used to wear baseball caps all the time. And I would turn them around backward, right? But I loved the fitted ones. I didn't like the, you know, the strap thingy. I loved the fitted ones. So I'd wear a hat in reverse all the time. And I had this pin. Yeah, you heard me right, a pin. Not like a ride, a pin. I had this pin. I don't know where I got it. I don't know if someone gave it to me or if I picked it up somewhere. But for some reason, all I have is fond memories of it. I remember this pen so clearly and I loved it. And at that point in my life, faith was huge to me. There were a couple of older people building into me, not like older, but older than me and they were building into me. And faith was very important. So I'd wear this pen right there in the center. You know what kind of pen it was? It was that, that fake gold and it had the letter I, like a capital I. And then it had a red heart that was attached to the side of the eye. And then under that was the word Jesus. Yeah, I know some of you want to laugh. Some of you don't because it is Jesus. Some of you know how cheesy it sounds, right? I get it. So I'd wear it right there and it was said, I love Jesus. And it was important to me. I would wear it everywhere. And when I was with my friends, they would, you know, they would hate on me a lot for that right there. So I remember being out with the same group one day, had the pin on and everything like that. And we're talking, we just happened to be hanging out in the little community in front of a church building. And one of my friends, my circle of influence there, spoke up and it was like, yeah, but you know, people just don't do church anymore. Church just isn't a thing. I mean, who really goes to church anymore? Now, again, don't allow me to make light of your life because maybe it's not a gold pin, but it's something else that's representative of your sphere of influence or your circle of influence. And maybe it's not your friends, maybe it's colleagues, maybe it's family, maybe it's just somebody you're familiar with. But when you're around them, you feel that tug, that tug to leave, that tug to ask yourself, this is important to me, but is it really worth the risk of this relationship? Yeah, I want Jesus to be full front. Everybody know exactly my identity. I'm sold out to him, but... You know, sometimes I, I don't know, it, it, it feels cheesy or weird. If that's you, let's talk, especially from our youth, or our young adults. Let's talk because there is nothing cheesy about following Jesus. He is this guy that says, I want to demonstrate and introduce you to real life. But, but if you're experiencing that pressure, and by no means, don't allow me, you know, we're comfortable this morning, right? I mean, some of you have a headache or you've got some bills piling up when you leave the building, and I'm not trying to minimize that, but at the same time, we're not really being persecuted, right? But if you look at the news feed, it does seem like there is this increasing hostility toward our faith. So even Jesus calls us out and he says, hey, if that's true, John 15, I want you to remember something. If the world hates you, if there's some friction between you and the world, keep in mind that it hated me too, and it hated me first. 
If you belong to the world, yeah, it would love you just as its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. None of us do if we're following this guy, Jesus. We don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. You're different. Things are going to be different about you. And that's why people are going to hate you or push against you. I think some of you know all too well, meeting with you, uh, some of you regularly, you know all too well what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, that this idea of believing in Jesus, belief, when I believe something, it's not just in the mind. It has to play out. You know that belief, it's got this movement factor. So this Bible, it's something to be lived as well. And some of you are doing that and it's beautiful and I think you're getting pushback. We want to encourage you. We want to inspire you. We want to come alongside you and say, hey, we know you're getting that pushback from this group, but here, you're part of this church, you're part of this family and we're with you. And some of you, I think you know this on a deep level. It's kind of what Paul was talking about when he was describing the former life versus the new life in Christ. Do you remember that verse from 1 Corinthians 6? We've condensed it a little. Don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And I'm in that club with you. There was an old life and now there's a new life. And some of us were right there with a wrongdoing crowd, right? We were kind of the poster child for wrongdoing. And that's what some of you were. But you found something totally different. You found this true life. As the text goes on, you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the spirit of our great God. You get this new life and it means something to you. Let's not allow anyone to strip that away. Let's keep you moving forward in this faith, okay? So if that's you, let us know. Let us know. I can connect with you or get you connected with the right person. So we jump back into our story. John 6, it goes down. So the disciples are leaving and it's just the 12. So Simon Peter said, hey, Lord, you ask us if we want to go, where would we go? To whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. At this moment, something great happens. And I see this happening all the time at Northeast. Something phenomenal is about to happen. So you've got the crowds who are there for all the attractions. You've got uh, the disciples who are more aware, but then you've got the 12 and they're totally, totally bought into this. So what happens is when they say, hey, we have nowhere to go, you're it. And you know what Jesus does? He said, then it's time to start com- stop complaining about the trash and start taking it out. It's time to start leaving. So anyone who is hanging around at this point, Jesus taps them to become part of the solution. Any problem that they see, to speak into it and become part of the solution. If I were to ask you, and I've got some crazy answers on this before. Some of them were right. Some of them were like, mm, I don't know about that. But if I were to ask you, don't answer out loud. Just, just in your mind or maybe whisper it to you, someone seating close to you. What's the primary responsibility of a pastor First and foremost, what's one of the primary responsibilities of a pastor? Uh, Some of you would say, well, shepherding the flock, right? But then we'd have to ask, but what does that mean? What does that really look like? And maybe we'll get down to, well, we need them to do weddings, right? 
We need him to oversee the funerals. You getting this, Monty? This is your, your list, okay? Um, I heard one person say, it's to raise money. First responsibility of a pastor is to raise money. Or maybe you have a couple of others. There's actually a text in Scripture, and this is going to lead right into what I want to focus on. A text that tells us why God calls people to become pastors. And it's really not rooted in any of those reasons. It's Ephesians 4. Notice this. Ephesians 4. Christ himself. He's the originator of this. He instigated this. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip. And that word means to adjust. Make the adjustments so that every part is working together. So to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Continues. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, it grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. And I have to tell you, day in and day out, I hear stories or see evidence that this is happening. So Monty, you're doing a great job equipping the people here. I see people stepping up and serving, feeling that ownership, feeling that idea of relationship, feeling that idea of leadership. And you see a problem and you speak into it. And just like the guy at Starbucks, I know some of you have that feeling, I've got to do this. I'm aggravated about it. It's frustrating, but I have to help. I've got to get involved. That's exactly what's happening here. One more, one more story, because this is beautiful what happens. Peter's the guy who says, where are we going to go? You're it, Jesus. There's no other option. It's this guy, Peter, that Jesus really taps on the shoulder to lead. And I would love to be able to interview him and see what happened, what went off in his psyche. Because he's standing around Jesus, where are we going to go? We're totally bought in. You have the words of eternal life. So Jesus on the cross, in the grave, back in the heaven. And those 100, 120 people, they're back together. And they're hanging out. And it's like there's no sense of direction Nobody knows what to do. And then this guy, Peter, he stood up. He stood up. And you read about it in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Notice, in those days, Peter stood up. Those days being Jesus is back in heaven. What's going to happen? So Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. In other words, Let's look at the Bible here. Let's consider reality. And now let's move forward. And then we go on to chapter 2. Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Isn't that amazing? You've got this guy who says, okay, I'm all in. There's nowhere else to go. Staking my life in Christ. And then he stands up and he does what he can. If these 120 aren't moving, then I will talk for them. If there's something going on, I will stand up and raise my voice and I will speak. And I see this happening. You know, Forge Men's Ministry, we sent a ton of kids to 7-Eleven camp this past week. And Forge stepped up and they said, you know what? We want every one of those boys out there to have a letter 
from an adult Christian man so that they can see this thread of manhood throughout spirituality and not reach a point to where like there was dis- they were disconnected or thought, you know what, that's for kids or whatever. So they took it upon themselves to stand up and write these letters to every single one of the boys that we sent to 7-Eleven camp. Is that cool or what? I met a guy last week. You can clap. You don't have to. I'm not asking you to. Yeah, do whatever you want to do. I'll just keep talking. So I met a guy last week and he merged two things. He saw that when he would drive across 7th Street, there were some people and they had a few needs. And then he connected the dots and said, huh, it just so happens that there are some leftover donuts and coffee and sometimes hot dogs that I have access to. And he put the two together. So now, a couple times a week, he goes over to 7th Street and in his words, he feeds and encourages prostitutes. And I know I, I can be the same way. I can look out at a scenario like the prostitution problem and be aggravated about it. And this guy was too. And then he stood up and he started doing something about it. I was uh, doing an elite uh, D group leadership training last week, blown away, blown away by the leaders of our D groups. I'm sitting around and here, I'm supposed to facilitate this thing. And it turned out to me just kind of asking them questions and have them bouncing their ideas off one another because they've got it. I mean, the leaders of these groups, they're calling foul if something isn't right. They're upholding truth and the integrity of scripture. And they're also looking for future leaders and raising them up, taking initiative. It's beautiful to see them stand up and say, yeah, if I'm the leader of the D group, I will lead this group. And they lead it well. I was uh, at, had been coffee with Phil Hurley at Star, Phil, can we call it Starbucks? It's in Barnes and Noble. I mean, is it really? We were having uh, coffee at Starbucks and he gives me this list with this rundown. You would not believe how many missions that we're connected with that are on the front lines of ministry. I mean, they're facing persecution, they're facing death and they're risking it all. They're standing up and they're solving or trying to help solve a problem that they see and that could be aggravating. It's amazing. I think of hashtag be the church. You know those guys, right? So a few weeks ago, we ha- they had a celebration for this lady. She's in the green dress here, right here. Her name is Zhao Ping. And she became a Christian while she was here in the States. She went back to China and she's the only one in her family who is a Christian. If you heard that cliche, I'm so inspired or I'm just so juiced that I want to run through a brick wall. You ever heard anybody say that? We were in a little meeting a couple days ago. Uh, me and the children's department, Micah, Josh, we're all in there. And Carolyn Sheely is just throwing down some truth about families and family discipleship. And I felt so inspired. That's really what I wanted to do. I don't know the connection there. I don't know how that works or operates. But I was so inspired. I just wanted to run through a wall. Nobody's ever felt that way before? Yeah? Anybody? Show me your hand if you have because I need to know I'm not off my rocker. Okay, good. Good deal. So this lady is literally going to be doing that. This wall of separation. She's the only one in her family and she's taking the gospel back. We have another picture of all these gals just gathering around her, praying for her. You can't tell me this gal in the green dress. She's standing up and God's going to use her and she's going to be probably aggravated at some things 
but she's gonna take out the trash. That's leadership. And that's why we value spiritual gifts here. And what about you? I hear more stories all the time, great stuff going on here. But before we end this series, clearly, explicitly, I just wanna look at you and say, has something been going on with you the past couple of weeks or maybe even a little longer? And you're aggravated about something. If you lean into that and align yourself with that aggravation just a little, and I know, you know, that's not exciting, but is God tapping you on the shoulder to say, hey, I may want you to clean that trash up. I'm leaving for uh, a few days this week, but if that's you, reach out. I'll do everything I can to reach back or get you connected with the right person. Uh, One more thing before we close here. There's a couple of attitudes that can arise and they can slip in so easily. I mean, we're human, right? We're human. So we have friction, we have conflicts. It's just part of being created, right? We're not the creator. So when you talk about spiritual gifts and you see people doing stuff and other people not and some people doing this and some people, sometimes it's easy for one or two attitudes, one of two attitudes to slip in. And Paul's fully aware of this. So he calls out this Corinthian church and says, hey, just make, well, let's read it together. First Corinthians 12. He says, suppose a foot says, you know, I'm not a hand, so I'm not a part. Just because you're not a hand does not mean that you're not a part of this body. Or suppose an ear says, hey, I'm not an eye, so I'm not part of the body. I can't do what you do or vice versa or whatever. That's okay. That's okay. We don't want anyone here saying, since I'm not like you, I don't belong here. We don't want that. The text goes on. A body isn't really a body unless there is more than one part. That's why the eyes can't say they don't need the hands. That's also why the head can't say it doesn't need the feet. So neither do we want to be a church where anyone ever says, you know what? We really don't need you. Those are the two attitudes we want to watch out. So again, coming back to this tug or calling that you have maybe. I remember the apartment, um, I think they had carpet just to show that there was carpet and you couldn't see maybe the concrete floor. But it wasn't a beautiful building like this. It was a small two-bedroom apartment. Michelle and I were just getting started. And I remember being on my knees on that carpet and feeling the concrete kind of busting through. And I'd felt this tug for some time to go into the ministry or where I'm from, we call it being called by God. So use whatever language you want to describe it. But I couldn't shake it. And I remember being on my knees saying, okay, okay, God, I'm all in. I'll shake up whatever needs shaken up in my life. And let's be real for a second. I mean, every job has problems, right? So being a pastor, it comes with some territory that's problematic. Do you want me to list? You got time? You want want the list of the problems that pastors have? Or you want to do that later? Later? Okay, we'll do it later. We'll do it later. But when I signed up for that, I knew there were going to be issues and there have been along the way. And when there's some tough weeks or tough stretches of ministry, I remember being on my knees and really leaning into what God wanted me to do. Maybe it's not the apartment for you. It's a Sunday morning. 
and you're not on your knees, you're sitting in one of these chairs and you know that God is saying, I know you're aggravated, but I want you to help fix this. I want you to ask for a rag or a trash bag and make this look good. Let's talk. Maybe you're just unfulfilled. I would argue strongly that part of that is not really being in line with what God wants to do through your life. And it's not always what we think. So if you were just like me about 20 years ago, I'd love to chat with you. Some of you are getting this and I don't wanna sell this short, but over the past three weeks, we've had such great conversations. Let me make this plea one more time. Maybe you're sitting here and you were like, okay, week one, yeah, okay, I'm not going back to that. But for some reason, you got up last Sunday and you came and you're here again. Maybe God's doing something in your life. And maybe it's not necessarily the spiritual gift thing today, but it's drawing you into that eternal life, that quality of life that begins here and now through a belief in him and you need some movement. Matthew, Jesus makes this plea. He says, hey, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And maybe some of that language is new to you or tricky to you. It simply means this, you know as well as I do, we're gonna leave this building and we are going to enter a self-serving society. The highest value in the world in which we live is to serve ourselves. And this guy, Jesus, is very clear, very explicit. If you wanna follow him, it's gonna require some denying of yourself, taking up your cross, and really following him. If that's where you find yourselves, let's talk. We down here to your right. Let's talk. Let's set up a time to talk. Let's get you connected with somebody. Let's help move you forward. Fair? Father, thank you for investing the time to reach out to every single one of us. When we stand before you one day face to face, we will have no excuse. We cannot put this on you. Your word is clear. You use your spirit. You've even went so far as to use your son, Jesus Christ, on a cross to demonstrate you're all in when it comes to us. Father, thank you for the call and the challenge for us to be all in when it comes to you. We want to be followers of Jesus in a very explicit, clearly defined way. So right now, we want to give our all to you. Father, we praise you for who you are, the God of all creation, the only true living God. And we pray in the name above all names, the name of Jesus, who is the truth, the life, and the way, the only way to you. Amen.